hear that said about history as well. well. Why do we have to study so much history? When are we ever going to use that? Well, it turns out we use it a lot. Uh, as one historian said, those who don't learn from the past are destined to relive it. That's right. And the things that we, we read in the Bible are so valuable for us. But in the first two chapters, we're, we're not reading of two different creations. We're reading of the same creation. Chapter 2 is just giving us a little bit further in depth. The first chapter, God created the world in how many days? Oh, I'm glad I got that one right. Six days. Some people say, no, he created it in seven days. No, as we read in chapter 2, God rested on the seventh day. So it gives us a clear uh, picture of how God created the heavens and the earth and what was so peculiar about the first verse of the Genesis. It's the beginning. It contains in it what? Yes, it contains everything that's in the universe, unless you're into science fiction and dark matter and all that stuff. But even then it was great. But God created, uh, in the beginning was time, the heavens. Uh, in the beginning, God, which is force, created, uh, which is energy, the heavens, which is space, and the earth, which is matter. And everything fits into one of those five categories in the entirety of the universe. Regardless of what they're going to tell us that comes out of Switzerland from the CERN project uh, as they go look for the uh, Higgs boson God particle, uh, they're trying to go back and look and see what the beginning of the universe looked like. And I'm so looking forward to that. But uh, so in Genesis 1 1, centuries before, we knew that there were really only five elements, if you want to call it that in the entirety of the universe. Moses, who is, uh, we are told, is the author of the book of Genesis, he told us this, and Moses wrote this about 1500 to 1550 B.C. So if you want to look at that, and it wasn't until the 1800s that we said, okay, there are five things in the universe. So that's Genesis 1.1. So we looked at everything that was created. We looked at that God saw it and it was good when he comes down to the very last part. And several of you reminded me of this at the last verse when it says in verse 31 of Genesis 1, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And the last thing that was created that we're told in Genesis 1 is man. Okay? What we'll find out in Genesis 2 is that he created man and woman there. Uh, did I tell you about what time of day that Adam was created? A little before Eve. Never miss an opportunity to slip that in because you never know when that opportunity is going to come again. So on the sixth day, uh, God created Adam and Eve. And he looked and said that everything was very good. And what we're going to read in chapter 2, well, let's, let's read it. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in that day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. I want to stop right there because in verse 4, there's a term that is used. And it says, these are the generations. Do we have any Hebrew scholars here? Let the record show that no one's a Hebrew scholar. The word for generations, is that what... Does anybody have a uh, version of the Bible that does not say these are the generations? It says this is the history, the account. Okay, the word for, uh, for generations that I have in mind is uh, toledah. And that means, uh, it means uh, descent, that is family or history, birth or generations. And here it tells us this is the history of the heavens and the earth. This is the the generations, as it were. The description of what was created as it began in chapter 2. And that is going to be used in ten different instances. Uh, Some who are historians for the book of Genesis tell us that the book of Genesis is really divided into ten different sections. And each one is called the history. Because here in chapter 2 and verse 4, these are the generations or the history of the heavens and and the earth, that when they were created. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And then they give us his, uh, those that came after him. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Generation, uh, let's see, okay, 6 verse 9, 10 verse 1 says, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, and on and on. So it goes down to uh, Noah, Shem, Terah, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. So each time it begins, that's really a a different section, even though we have it divided up into 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. But those are the general classifications as you would have read them, uh, how they were divided up in that. So here we have, these are the generations. This is the history. This is the account. In verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So here in chapter 2, we have two verses that are quoted in the New Testament. Verse 2 is quoted in Hebrews chapter 6 or Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 4, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. Here we come down to verse 7, and that is quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. And man became a living creature. What do some of your other versions say? For man became a living being, soul, okay? Anybody into aviation or ships? When there is a tragedy in which there is a loss of life and they report it, how do they report the loss of life, either on a ship or on an airplane? Souls were lost. Fifteen souls. And that might not mean much to the, to the average person as we read it, but it, it is a term that I'm sure that a group of people sat around a table and said, well, how do we describe that? Well, 16 lives were lost. But they came up with 16 souls. Uh, 16. However many souls it was. I don't want to always use the term 16. Uh, And it says, and man became a living creature. Man became a living soul. 
And when we come down to further passages in the Bible, and it tells us about what man's makeup is. And if we had to say, well, what is man really made of? I think last year I used the, the illustration that uh, scientists broke down all of the chemicals and elements in our body, and they based on what we would have to pay for those. And we might think, well, there's a little bit of zinc here, and there's a little bit of whatever it is. I think the, the price was less than $10 of what we could, if we were going to build a person, that's what it would cost us in, in parts. Labor, that's, that's another story. But $10 is about what it would cost. But what is man really made of? What are, what are the different parts that man is made of? Made of water? Oh, we look at the bigger picture. If I, if it, if I have to come down and enlist all 57 or 58 or 170 different things that man's made of, but, but we say, well, what is man made of? Man is, is a body. Man is also a spirit. Man has a soul. He's made up of matter. That's the body. Okay, so we look at that we are different things. And Solomon will describe in his book, of, and thank you, Solomon. Oh, he left. I'm sorry. You're not going to get to ask him any questions. But he says that when man dies, there's two things that happen. What happens to the body? The body, and, and people have requested that, uh, that aren't, aren't able to hear or online, they are saying that the, the body goes back to dust because it tells us here that then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So Solomon tells us that when we die, our bodies go back to the dust but then the second thing happens. The Spirit goes back to God who gave it. So there's, and, and I've read many articles about, what's the difference between the Spirit and the soul? A little bit above my pay grade. But we'll get to that when we, we get a little bit further down into uh, the book of Genesis. So it tells us that God formed the man of the dust of the ground. And really, this is the only time that we're told that God formed something from the dust of the ground. Everything else, it just says that He created them. He spoke them into existence. But man was special. We get to be the posterity of being from the dirt. Well, when we look at it, if we break down what other creatures are made of, we're really made of the same thing. The dust of the ground. And when the average person looks at it, well, what's the difference of the of a, looking at a cell for, that comes from a snake, that comes from a frog, that comes from an alligator, that comes from a man, the average eye can't tell it. But what is it in man that is so peculiar when we look through microscopes? It's the DNA. It's the genes that we have. There's something, and there's also something right here in the middle that is our prefrontal cortex, but that's uh, something that we find in man that others don't have to use. Man was special. We talked last week about that man was made in the image of God. Not that he looks like you and I, unless you go to the Sistine Chapel, which, as I mentioned, I didn't go, get to go in because it was closed that day. So I didn't get to see what Michelangelo told us that, that God looked like. But we were giving, given something special. 
we were given the makeup of God. We were given a soul. We were given that as Solomon, and he's already lost, but as he tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, he said, he has set eternity into our hearts. I don't know what that means, but I know that when I go to the zoo, I'm on this side of the bars and the animals are on that side. That we have the ability to look, we have the ability to reason. I don't know what dolphins think about. I don't know what snakes think about. I don't know what animals think about. You know why I don't know what they think about? Because they can't talk, and they've never written a book. But we have. We have been given something special, and which time doesn't allow us. And speaking of time, what time are we going to ring the buzzer today? 10-2? Okay, sounds good. That way I know when I need to stop talking. So, and it says that man became a living creature. Man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made up, uh, out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to, the, to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. Uh, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth River is the Euphrates. Any geographers here? Anybody read maps? You look at the map of the Middle East of where we suspect this is at. Do you recognize, do you recognize these rivers on a map? We, we call a couple, we, we know two of them are the Tigris and the Euphrates whether those are the two actual ones, but it says that there's four rivers that come out of there. Where the uh, Pishon and the uh, Gihon are, we don't really know. Chances are, it was destroyed, that area was destroyed during the flood. Uh, we're not really sure, I've, I've read a lot on these and we, we don't think. How about the Garden of Eden? Trust me, if it was still around, they'd be selling tickets, so you and I could go in there. They'd probably put uh, some sort of uh, rides that we could uh, go on. All of that, it'd, it'd be there. They would be making money off this. But there is nothing about the Garden of Eden that exists today that we would know it. And uh, so as we, we come down through here, and especially uh, verse 9, out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree uh, that is good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Where are those trees today? We, we don't read about the tree of life nearly through the entirety of the Bible until we come to what? Come to the book of Revelation. we told that the tree of life is there and people eat from it and it's for the healing of the nations. Is that a literal tree of life or is it figurative like everything else? Because it says it's for the healing of the nations. I thought when Christ came again and we went to heaven there's going to be no more nations. So it must be figurative. But the idea that there was a tree of life 
and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the, the, when we get to chapter 3, we, we're going to read uh, a lot about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the sense of mythology, what, do, what, do the, what did the Greeks and the Romans say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did that represent in one of their myths? I'll give you a hint. She has a, a wonderful music streaming service today. Pandora's box, remember? Pandora's box. And so they relate it that back to a, a moment in time in which Pandora opened that box, and from then everything evil came out of that. Okay? So there are stories in history that relate back to that point. But the Bible tells us, when we get to chapter 3, exactly what happened in this. So uh, we come down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Is that ambiguous there? Is that, was there a misunderstanding in what God said? No. No, there wasn't. He was very plain about this, uh, of what he said. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, um, out of the ground every beast of the field of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see who would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was the name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to the, every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then he said, This at last is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And here's the third verse that is quoted in the New Testament that Jesus quotes. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It is interesting that that verse 24 is put into there, that a man shall leave his father and his mother. Mother and father weren't, yeah, and father weren't there. But it, but it, is, it is interesting that it is, uh, that it is in there. Uh, and the question that... that many people have beyond that is, did they have belly buttons? <clears throat> we don't have to vote on that one. Uh, so we see that, that God says that it is not good that man should be alone in verse 18. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay? Yes, I, and, and I might have misspoke myself. Uh, when it talks about, now out of the ground of the Lord of God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see who would call them. And how long do you think that took on that, that day? Uh, yeah. Brought them all before it. Dog, horse, cat, Tyrannosaurus Rex, the whole shot. Uh, so uh, as we look at this, and, but this all happens on the first day because it tells us that man and woman were created on the first day. It tells us back in chapter 1. He created man and woman on the first day. So this, 
chapter 2 is recounting what happened on the first day uh, of this. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And here we have that the man and the woman were equals at this point. They're both given the task of looking after what God has given them to care for in the garden. Have you heard the, the reasons that God took out of the rib? And this is only speculation. He took it out of the rib. He didn't take it out of the head so he could be over her, or out of the foot that she would be under him, but out of the rib that she might be beside him. And it isn't going to be until chapter 3 that we read that there's going to be a, someone's going to be uh, over another. And that continues on into the New Testament where Jesus and Paul talk about this. So, questions in chapter 2. There is an awful lot that is going on in there. An awful lot that goes on. But it is really just telling the story again of what happened in chapter 2. There was one more thing that I wanted to look at. Yes, absolutely. Uh, for those who are out in the nether region, uh, it is brought up that from the beginning, God created man and woman. And that's how, that's how a species, whether we're talking about human beings or we're talking about animals, it's the only way that they uh, can reproduce. It has, to be, it has to be done that way. From the beginning, uh, and remember when Jesus was asked about the question, why did Moses allow a certificate of divorce to be given. And what does Jesus say? Yeah. Doesn't talk about the law. He says, but from the beginning, and he comes back and quotes here from chapter 2 and verse 34. Uh, a man shall uh, leave his father and a mother, hold fast his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so we have that model that's giving. And man in his infinite wisdom... That wisdom that doesn't come from above. That wisdom that comes from here says, I believe I can improve upon this. I believe I can. And so we have a world that is in disarray at this point. But from the beginning, so if we go back to the very beginning, we see that God has a model that he has put forth with us. Not a popular model in our culture. But it is the model, nonetheless. That's the way God created that things should be done. 
Oh, the one I wanted to look at was in uh, verse 6. Tim, I believe you brought this up last week. And a mist was going up from the land. It was watering the whole face of the ground. Uh, back to verse 5, he says, uh, For Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Mist was coming up from the land. A lot of ideas as to what this looked like in the beginning. When we get all the way to 1,656 years later, when we get down, if you follow the genealogies, and you, it's easy to do the math when you get to Genesis chapter 5. Easy to do the math. Anybody, even I could do it. Is that they come down to that part, and it's the first time that we read of rain, but we say, well, was there no rain up to that point? Well, we see that here, that a mist was coming up uh, from the ground, and it was watering the whole face of the ground. It's what we're told. If it had changed from that point to Genesis chapter 6, we aren't told of that. Uh, what this water looked like above, if there was an ocean above, we're, it's not described for us. It really isn't. And, and some have said modern day that, that that theory has been dispelled, that there was actually a layer of water above us. It, it really doesn't tell us beyond what we read there, so we don't really know. Heavy fog like what I'm in all the time? Or, uh, and that's what people have, have speculated. When we get down to the flood in Genesis chapter 6, we read that he opens up the springs of the deep, that they just completely let go, and that rains come down. So two things are happening from, from below and from above to absolutely flood, not a local flood, but it says the entire earth was flooded. Now, what the continents look like according to what we can tell, it probably wasn't a Mount Everest because on the top of many of the mountaintops we find fossils, we find bones uh, from things that were underneath the sea. So whatever, wherever they were at before, they were down below, probably below sea level and have been pushed up. Um, and so when we get to that part. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. We can speculate on it, have some good ideas and theories, but all we have is what has been given to us here. And you know me, I love to take it and run, but at a certain point I have to pull the reins back and say, we just don't know. We just don't know. Any other questions? Okay, now we come down to... Oh, we'll, we'll make it through ver, or chapter 3 really easy. Now the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat 
of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig trees together, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. No questions? Well, let's move on. Pardon me? I, yeah, who taught them to sew? I, I don't know. I don't know, but they figured it out. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And on the trivia quest, uh, question that they are going to ask you, what is the first question that is asked in the Bible? Did God really say? That's the first question that is asked in the Bible. Did God really say, you shall not eat of any of the tree in the garden? Did he really say that? Yes. At this point, uh, it is simply Adam and Eve. Seth has not been born yet. Neither has Cain and Abel been born yet because we see that only Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden. So we, the speculation as to whether they had children at this point. Uh, but he asks the question. Now the serpent, who is the serpent? I may not be identified here for us, but who is the serpent? He, Satan is asking this question. He says because he was a liar. He was a murderer from the beginning. So we piece these together and see. But he asks that question, and that is how Satan works. Not in the black and white, although we look back and say, come on, Eve, you knew what he said. And and it is interesting that she says, uh, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. And there's been speculation that perhaps he did tell her that they they couldn't even touch it. And some have said, well, you know, she sort of added to that. Maybe she didn't really understand. But But she knew, nonetheless, that to eat the tree was against God's law. Well, when she said that, didn't Adam enter? So it had to be true. Because didn't Adam enter yet? And Satan says, you will not surely die. It's that casting the little bit of doubt. Satan doesn't always exist in one end or the other. But it's in the middle to where they can cast a little bit of the the gray area, the doubt. Did he really say that? Did God really create the heavens and the earth? Did God really do this or did God really do that? And, and, And so we don't, for you and I, if we can't explain how God did all this, then it appears as though it didn't happen. But, but simply we have to say, well, this is what the Scriptures tell us. But when Satan casts that doubt, did he really say? I think it, it's, it is just so typical of how his trickery... And I quoted from Paul's letter to uh, the church at Corinth in his second letter. It says, we're not unaware of his trickery. 
We know. How do we know how Satan works? Firsthand. <laughs> well, firsthand. But we know because the Scriptures tell us. That's how we know. Paul says we're not, we're not unaware of that. His scheming and his sort of an Old, Old Testament or King James word that we use is guile. His guile, that, that subtlety and trickery. Did I see a hand up? not going to die. You're, you're not going to die. And they didn't actually die when they ate it. Physically, like we think of death. But they began the process of death. They began that, pre- that process of separation from God. You're, you won't, you're not, will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And then... He uses three things here. The same three things that Satan used with Jesus when you look at it, and the same three things that John identifies in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride or the vainglory of life, the pride of life. Those three things, the same thing that he uses here, and he says, your eyes will be open, you will be like God. There's the pride. Knowing good and evil, so then, uh, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there's the eyes, and a delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, pride, she took of the fruit, ate, she also gave some to her husband. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, a pride of life. Take these stones and turn them into bread. Takes him up to the top of the building and it says, cast yourself down. And he says, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the world. They're yours. All you have to do is bow down. Now, Eve had the word of God. Because she was given the word of God. Because Adam was told, you shall not eat that tree. So there's the word. And Jesus uses the word when he is tempted the three times. And it's the same thing. We're not unaware of the schemes of the devil. Why? Because they're always the same. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything that is in the world can be classified into those three. And when someone told me that decades ago, I said, it can't be that easy. Because John says, all that's in the world, not just some, but all that is in the world can be classified into those three. They'll fit into that classification. And you know, I have tried over the years to say there's got to be the exception. And you know, I have not found one exception to that that plays on one of those three. The same three that Eve was given there in the garden by our counting some 6,000 years ago. He hasn't changed. We are not unaware of his schemes. They're tired old schemes. But you know what? They work. They work. 
time and time again. Let's stop right there. Any questions before we close? Okay. I'll thank uh, Solomon and James afterwards. <laughs>